All right. Well, let's bring it in, and we'll get started this morning. A couple things, huh? Bighorn Rams, I guess, huh? That's pretty cool. And Sheridan Bronx, huh? State champions for football. What a cool thing. I heard the Bighorn game was like really a nail-biter, like they won in the, just the final seconds. What a, what a cool thing, though. And I just want to echo as well um, just our, our gratitude for all of you who have served um, in the armed forces in whatever capacity. We are thankful for your service and, and, and grateful to, to be uh, worshiping with you here this morning. Also, too, if you're new here this morning, we want to welcome you. We want to give you an extra special welcome. Maybe you're new online. Maybe you've never uh, joined us before, and we're grateful and very thankful to have you here as part of our church family uh, this morning. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit really quick, too, about kind of our board positions um, and the nominating process. So sometimes it gets a little bit um, misunderstood. We, we have a self-nomination process, and that sounds like, wow, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, uh, you know, promote myself. But, but what we really have to understand is that really the, the idea is here that we would be encouraging one another. If, if there's somebody that you believe would, would, um, would serve well on our church board, please grab a packet and take it to them and say, I think you would be a fantastic addition to, uh, to the church board, uh, the elder board, and, um, and, and, and that's how we do it. But at the end of the day, they've got to fill it out. That's why we say it's a self-nomination process. We, we just don't do the thing where we nominate people from here, where we're going, hey, I think Jim would be a fantastic board member. And then Jim has all the pressure on him of, every, yeah, that would be fantastic. Jim would be the great guy. So we just don't do that to, to, to one another. What we want to do is at the end of the day, uh, the individual needs to really feel a calling to the elder board. That it, it's, not just a, it's not just a job. It's not just a, a spot that you feel like feel like maybe some other board positions can be. Uh, this is truly leadership within the church. There are some parameters to that and, and all of that. But, um, but at the end of the day, it's got to be something that somebody is led to be a part of, not just, you know, it's not a popularity thing or anything like that. But it's a process that the church has to take part in because this is your part in the leadership of the church. We, we place leaders in those positions of leadership, and then we trust and believe on those leaders to be led by the Lord to guide and instruct and lead the church. <clears throat> so if that might be you, if you might be feeling that calling as well, certainly grab a packet as well from the back, fill it out and get it back to us. Looks like next Monday is kind of our, our time to be assembling those, and then we'll, we'll be moving forward. Uh, through the process from there. So, um, going on from there, I guess, this morning. I got a bit of a cold, so I'm going to be slurping my throat coat all morning here. Um, prayer, yeah, prayers for folks that are traveling back. I know we got a lot of folks traveling back from Laramie um, from the weekend. As a matter of fact, uh, Anna and Tristan as well are, are traveling back this morning from Laramie, Tristan played hockey, had hockey games there, uh, there in Cheyenne this last weekend. And so, yeah, prayers for everybody traveling as well. So, we are continuing on. We're in the book of Mark, and um, we're going to finish chapter 14 this morning. So, 
Uh, grab your Bible, turn a Bible on, grab one from the chair in front of you, whatever you need, and join us. Open up to chapter 14, starting in verse 53. So in Mark, we've, we've, we've looking back just a little bit here, we, we, we've seen... Uh, kind of the Passover dinner being met together with Jesus and his disciples um, attending to that uh, together. And then out of that, we see where our, uh, the Lord's Supper has been instituted out of that Passover meal. And, and we looked at all of the significance, all of the imagery, all of how this whole time and this, this, this dinner, it, it points to the Messiah and who he would be. Um, and then we see them going out into the Garden of Gethsemane which remember meant, meant the olive press and, and, and they're out there in, in, you know, amongst this, this garden of olive trees and, and, and Jesus, it, it's just this time of utter anguish and prayer and in um, a time in which Jesus is participating and encouraging his disciples to continue to, to pray with him, to watch with him, to, uh, to press in, to understand that, that the spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And, and, and so then we see his betrayal in the garden where, where G- Judas comes and uh, says rabbi and kisses him and he's arrested right there on the spot. Um, we see that uh, a young man, it says, his, his, his covering is pulled off of him and he, he runs away naked. And so we see the scattering of the sheep, just like it says uh, prophetically. And... Um, and so now what we're looking at is that Jesus has been pulled into the council, into the Sanhedrin, um, and he's on trial here. The, the religious elite here are, are, it's a council of 71, and it's presided over by the high priest. And, and we see that um, Jesus is um, doing that. Um, I'm looking and... <clears throat> And I'm looking and I'm, I'm recognizing that I didn't get the sermon up this morning, did I? So, so it's okay. I have it here in front of me. It's, it's a technical issue. So instead of looking at tiles, I will just be reading the tiles to you and telling you where we're going at this point. So sorry, I usually don't do that. That's the first time I've done that. So anyway, grace, grace. We're, we're thankful for grace this morning in this church. So really what the, 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 the actual title to this is, is, who do you say that I am? This is a question that's been asked of Peter before. Who, who, who does the world say that I am? Who do you say that I am? But, but this, is, this is kind of this, uh, just a little bit different. You know, it's... it's who do you say that I am? Who do you say? Because that's really what's going on here. And so let's read through it here real quick together, and then we'll kind of work our way back through it. Verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. And now the chief priests... And the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. 
but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet, yet even about this, their testimony did not agree, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer again. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. <clears throat> what is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, so we see that, that Jesus is here, he's in this council, and, and what do we see? But we see that, that Peter is actually following him, and, and he, but he's following him kind of at a distance here at this spot. But hey, let's give uh, Peter some kudos, he's there, right? And we remember if we look back and think back to some of the things that Peter had said, he said, look, even if everybody else would fall away, I, I won't do it. I'll stay faithful. I'm going to be there. I'm going to go with you. I'm willing to go with you even to death, right? A little bit before this in the Garden of Gethsemane, we saw that Peter, when, when, when they came to arrest Jesus, he pulls his sword out and he cuts off the ear of Malchus, Caiaphas' servant, the servant to the high priest. So was he willing to die? He was. He was absolutely willing to die and, and, and ready to do this. But here he is, and, and, and he's, he's sneaking up behind, and, and he's there. And, and I think that sometimes, sometimes Peter gets a bad rap. Sometimes the, the, the first thing that comes to our mind when we think about Peter is, is this denial, right? And, and I think that should serve as a, as a great lesson for us as well, because sometimes we're much more remembered for our failures than we are our successes, right? But let's remember about Peter. He's, he, he's the guy who... who he kind of has done this, like us, on so many levels. As a matter of fact, you know, he's the one who Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And, Jesus, and Peter replies, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one we've been waiting for. 
And Jesus says, hey, blessed are you. Way to go. Good job. But then we see Peter just right after that in that same paragraph practically, Jesus begins to tell him that he's going to die. And what does Peter begin to do? He rebukes Jesus, it says. Imagine rebuking Jesus. Oh, my gosh. But we do at times. And he rebukes Jesus. He actually tells him, no, you've got this wrong. You're not going to get it. And Jesus' response to him is, get behind me, Satan. So, so Peter goes from hero to zero within the paragraph. And we've all been there, you know. And, 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 but, but here he is. And he's, he's in there. And he's, he's, he's with these officers, these, these people who serve the, the court. They, they, they're serving the council. These are the clerks and, and, and some different people that are, that are kind of just outside of that, but, but they're there to serve that, and they're part of all of this procession of what's going on. And so we've got the chief priests, we've got guards, and they're, and they're, they're warming themselves um, with the guards. He's, he's hanging out there, and he's right there at the fire with them. And the whole council is, is, is inside, and they're seeking testimony that they can discredit Jesus so that they can justify killing him. And they can't find any. There's there's really nothing that they can put together that sound that that can be used just against him. And and there's no consistency, it says here, in in the testimonies that are coming along. So with Peter, I mean, what does it take to be there? You know, I, I want to think that sometimes I'm a pretty brave guy and I've got some things and, you know, I've got a little, a little uh, chutzpah, you know, and, and that I would be there. We, we want to say that, right? What, but but we got to remember what's going on here. I mean, this is, this is serious. And, and I want you to also start to understand, let's, let's give Peter a little bit of break and let's start to think about what might be going on in his mind here. Because... Peter was ready for the rebellion. Peter was ready for, for Jesus to lead them into a rebellion to probably expel the Romans out of there and, and to set up his rule and his reign about this kingdom that he's been talking about. But then Jesus tells him, put your sword away. Because we we're not doing it that way. If, if I wanted to do it that way, it would be no problem. I would just call and legions of angels would come and this would be over right now. But my kingdom isn't furthered like that. This isn't how we do it. Imagine if you've given yourself, when you've given yourself to Jesus and you've given it everything to him and, and you're just there and you, he's been following him, he's left everything behind and now everything about how he thought it was going to be and how he thought it was going to go It's just being challenged. It's not going that way at all. And I think that probably Peter is just thrown into this place of of confusion at this point about what what has this all meant? What has this all been about? Where is it going? And and he's got got no clue. There's got to be so many just um, thoughts and contradictions going through Peter's mind at this point. But he's still there. He's hanging out. He's with the guards right there, hanging out by the fire. 
right outside to see what's going to happen. He's, he's, he's still going to try to fulfill by his own merit and his own will this promise that he's got to Jesus that I won't, I won't let you down. I, I, I won't do it. Everybody else might do it. The whole lot of you may do it, but not me. Our self-will, I don't know about you, but my self-will rarely lasts through Thursday. I might start really strong on Monday. Tuesday, I'm not still doing too bad. Usually by Wednesday, I've had a bad day. Thursday's worse, I'm out. Our will is just not sufficient to really carry us. And this is the lesson. This is the whole thing. When Jesus told Peter this, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. Remember, we talked about that. I mean, imagine, again, Jesus asking you that question, telling you that, saying, Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. You're like, the Satan, like that one. You told him no, right? But see, Jesus didn't say that. He said, I, I, I've, I've, when you return, I've prayed for you. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. What's he saying? He's saying that in this trial, in this greatest trial that you're about to go through, I'm at work and I'm doing something in it. And, and, and I'm paving the way for something that down the road is going to have a great return. But today... Today might not be very comfortable at all. Today's going to be really difficult. As a matter of fact, you know, here's Peter, and he's holding on to as best he can everything about his own personal convictions and moralities here. And he says, he's there. So let's give him credit. He's there. You know, the world is looking for testimony against Jesus, and for about 2,000 years now, they just can't find it. Isn't it amazing? I mean... Let's think about this. This thing started in an obscure place a couple thousand years ago by the Sea of Galilee. Just a few people, just some people, Jesus, some disciples, some followers. It grew into something much bigger for sure. But to be honest with you, 2,000 years later, you know where it should be? It should, be, it should have faded into obscurity so long ago. If this wasn't something real, if God wasn't really doing something, you see, there's no way that it really would have held on. It wouldn't have got roots. It wouldn't be here. We're about as far from that place as you can get, really. We're a long ways away. But it hasn't. It's, it, no matter what the world tries to do, no matter what the world tries to bring, accusation and build a case against Jesus, the more you press it, the more it squirts out all over the place. The more that governments try to limit it, end it, stop it, it just squirts out all over the place. It's this thing that should have faded into obscurity that can't be stopped. It's this thing that's changing the world. It literally has changed the world. Jesus, Time Magazine, year after year, the greatest life that's ever been lived, Jesus. And they don't want to admit that. But it is. It, it's, his life has changed the world, and so, but the world is always looking for testimony against him. So then the high priest, it says, he stood up in the midst and he asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? 
What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't address these things, these false testimonies about him. He doesn't get wrapped around the axle about him. And I want to encourage you to that there are times when, when ridiculous things are getting said about Jesus, we, we can do just the same thing that he did. We don't have to try to defend him. He defends himself with the truth. But, but whenever it's all lies or whatever, sometimes we get upset, angry, mad. We, we start to yell as Christians or whatever. But you see, Jesus in this situation, he just remained silent. And he gave no answer to these things. But then the high priest started to touch on truth. And this is the place where Jesus began to speak. He said, are you the son of the blessed? Are you the son of the blessed? The, the, the word there is, is a word, uh, it's eulogetos. And, it, and, and this is the word that, that's translated the blessed one. It, it's the same word actually that Paul uses in, in Romans 9, 5. And he says... Romans 9.5 says this, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And so it's just a strong statement of Jesus' divinity. Jesus makes a very strong statement here about his divinity. When he says, I am, he's relating himself back to the great I am. The I am that I am. The, 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 the God who, who met with Moses and, and revealed to him, began to tell him about his nature and his character. I am that I am. The God who is. Not the God who was, not the God who will be, but the God who is. I am. I am able. I am willing. I am good. All of these things and these attributes that we know about him, <laughs> but trust me, if you were a Jew, you didn't say, I am, in these terms. It was very clear to them what he was saying. He was saying, I and the great I am are one. We are one. I am, he says. And then he goes and he says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest, it says, he tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And they began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying prophecy. And the guards received him with blows. So when Jesus makes this statement, it, it throws the high priest into just this tailspin. It's shocking to the high priest what he's just said. Because you see, for, for, the, for the Jews there, the idea of Messiah was that he was just going to take the Davidic line. He was going to take back, he was going to take the throne, and, and, and he was going to uh, lead the Jewish people. He was going to um, expel you know, the, 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 the Romans, and, and he was going to set up the Jewish law and that Jewish law was going to become central to the laws and the governing of, of all of the, the, the people around them. But, but the idea that he would be divine, 
was not on their radar. The idea of the divinity of Jesus is a Christian theology or understanding of God. It's not a Jewish one at that point or, 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 or even presently still today. See, the Jewish people believe today that Messiah will bring spiritual and political redemption, um, that he'll bring the Jewish people all back to Israel, and that he'll establish a government in Israel that will be central to all of the world, that he'll rebuild the temple, he'll reestablish worship in the temple, that he'll establish the religious court system of Israel and make the law of Israel the law of the land, <clears throat> and that there will be a messianic age in which the peaceful coexistence of all people will be brought in and war and all of those kinds of things will be no more. But the idea of him being divine is a Christian understanding of who God is and Jesus. You see, they were good with things like this. Um, Psalm 89, 3 through 4, you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Psalm 89, he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. And, and so we see that, that for the Jewish people, it was just fine for him to, to be um, the Messiah was fine potentially for him to be the Messiah and of the lineage of David to take up that place. But the minute that he claimed to be God, everything changes. And, and this is the nature. You see, with the world and with the unbelieving world out there, it, Jesus is fine as long as he's just a prophet or a teacher or a good guy or some sort of an avatar like Buddha or Muhammad or somebody who's just come through some kind of an age. But the minute that he makes the, the proclamation to be God, the world rents its clothes and just is like, ah, why? It's because if he's God, then we're accountable to him. We're accountable to God. If, if, if John 1, 1 through 4 is the truth, if... If, if the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and the word was God, then, then we're accountable. If he's, if he's the creator of all things, if all things were created through him and nothing that was created was created apart from him, then we're accountable to this God. And, and, that, and that's a really harsh thing because that means that, that this God is, is perfectly capable and has the right to establish for us morals and, and directives and principles to live by, and that we must follow those things, that we really can't just be a people who feel a certain way, who desire something some way, and therefore it's the truth. No, we're, we're a people who have to come to recognize that truth doesn't bow to belief. Belief has to bow to truth. And that's the way that it is. It's the very nature of truth. And, and so the world just hates this idea of Jesus being God. Because if he's less than God, then, then we're not accountable to him. We don't owe him anything. And so we see this play out 
And you see this playing out today in the world in just in, in such a deep way. You see just the anger that's in the culture around us about issues of morality. There, there are many issues that, that, that cross, that, that intersect politics in the world that we live in with the morality that God calls us to. Those, those are the issues that, that, that whenever, whenever, those, whenever those lines cross, now it becomes an issue of the church, issues of life. Those are church issues because those aren't political issues. Those are moral issues. There's a moral dilemma there. And, if, and, and because we believe a God who, who, who has made life to be precious, who's created people in his image, that, that the people that, were, that are in this world are image bearers of him, then we recognize that there is inherent worth in every life. And therefore, we, we stand for that. But the world is angered by that and hates that idea that we could ever be told, do this, don't do this. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. So here it begins for him. It's this place where his, his self-will is about to be insufficient. He's about to recognize some realities about himself, some ways that he viewed himself that, that aren't necessarily accurate. And what it's going to do is, is that Peter is about to understand his need, his need for something outside of himself. You see, until we recognize that we have a need that's outside of ourselves, we'll never recognize a need for a Savior. We'll be sufficient enough. And here Peter is just believing that he can be that guy, except guess what? Man, just now a little girl came up to him. Not some big strapping Roman soldier. A little girl came up and said, you were with him. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, 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 I have no clue what you're even talking about. I don't even know. I neither know nor understand what you mean. And then the rooster crowed. That should have been a that should have been a wake up call for him right there, because he still has the opportunity maybe to to gather it in. I don't know, but but he's still moving forward in this. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to the bystanders, "This man is one of them." But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, "Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean." Well, how do they know? Well, that's, well, that's interesting. There's all kinds of people that are coming into Jerusalem, but it's, it's kind of like somebody coming from the deep south into Sheridan, right? And we're all kind of mingling and talking, and we're listening to each other, and you can hear that. They don't talk like we do. Well, that's what's going on here with the Galileans and stuff. They have, they have a unique dialect and uh, accent, and, and, and they're like, no, you, you're Galileans. You, you were with him. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. He, he's, he's not, sometimes it says he's cursing and stuff. He's not cussing. He's not starting to shout profanities. What he's doing is he's saying, by God himself, 
I, I don't know him. He, he's, he's swearing. He's making this proclamation of, 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 of something greater than himself. And he's, he's attaching himself to that and saying, no, I, I, I don't know him. And immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. He's broken. Now he's, he's a broken man. In Luke's account, there's, there's an interesting thing that happens. In Luke's account, it says this. It says that somehow that when this rooster crowed the second time, that Jesus and Peter's eyes locked at that very moment in which he had denied him the three times. And, and he looks up and Jesus and, and his eyes lock at that point. I wonder what he saw in Jesus' eyes. Sometimes we think, you know, what, what, what else could you see but maybe contempt? If it was you or I, we would probably look back at him like, you traitor. How about you and Judas just get out of here? You both cut out of the same bolt of cloth. After all I've done, after all I've taught, after all I've given to you, and this is what happens. You betray me. Get out of here. I'm done with you. I've got no time for you. But I know and you know that that's not what he saw in Jesus' eyes. When Jesus looked at him, he looked at him with compassion. He looked at him with love. Peter could see the love and the compassion in Jesus' eyes as he looked back at him. You see, he wouldn't have wept any, any other way. If I looked at you, if I let you down and you look at me, and you look at me with scorn and contempt and anger, I'm going to mirror that. I'm just going to stomp off too and say, yeah, well, hey, how about my three years? How about my three years I spent with you thinking that you were going to do this and you were going to do that and we were going to kick the Romans out of here and we were going to do it all together? And then you tell me to put my sword up. I'm out of here. That's how it would have ended with that. But when he looked at Jesus and he saw the, the compassion and the love in his eyes, it broke him. It broke him. On the inside, everything about who he believed himself to be, everything about his own moral convictions was all broken and, and crumpled in just a heap. See, the best of men are men at best. It's as good as we are apart from God and, and, and just in our own strength and, and doing our own thing. I never knew him. You see, we can all be disenchanted when it doesn't go the way that we think it's going to go. Every one of us sometimes is, we're all going to be met with, with times in life and, and struggles and suffering and, and pain and difficulties that we didn't ask for. 
and we don't understand. And those are, those are times and those are places where, where we have to make a decision. Are we going to walk away? Are we going to deny him? Or are we going to allow him to restore us? Are we going to understand maybe that, that he's doing a bigger thing? Are we going to trust that in those times, those times where it's really hard? See, because what happens in Peter's life when we looked ahead, if we jumped way ahead, we'd see in the book of Acts, we would see him stand up and preach a sermon in which 3,000 people come and the church is birthed. We, we'd see him, we're going to see him write epistles, right? We're going to see him be moving in power through the church. But you see, it all harkens back to this time of total brokenness for him. And there's an absolute decision for him to make at this time. Is he, is he going to move forward with Jesus or is he going to be crushed by the weight of, of losing himself and being disenchanted with the ministry that he was involved with? Which direction is he going to go? And, and this, sometimes this, this, this crushing of ourselves is, is a necessity. It, it's something that has to happen before we recognize that we just don't have it. Jesus has it. We were never intended to walk independently from him. You were never intended to be strong on your own. You were intended to walk in relationship to your creator and find your strength there, to find our abilities, to find our identity, to find our motivation, to find our purpose and our meaning in this life. It's, it's all found there. But you see, for Peter, it didn't happen until he got kind of broken. And here's the other thing. Jesus allowed it. He even, even kind of, Satan came and said, how about you let me sift him like wheat? And Jesus, the hard answer is that Jesus kind of said, you know what? Peter kind of needs sifted like wheat. He needs sifted like wheat. He needs to be broken. He needs to be, but, but you see, he's, he, at the end of the day, he was the one who, who held, just like in the book of Job, he was the one who, Set all of, the, all of the parameters. Nothing comes into your life or my life that God doesn't allow if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you can rest assured that nothing comes in your life that doesn't first come across God's desk. And there are times where he allows things that are not easy or pleasant. But he's not calling us to try to understand those things. He's trying... He's calling us to trust that he's doing something bigger in the future. That through what he's doing, and if it's come across his desk, and it's really hard, and it's really difficult, that in the future, that he's going to do something great with it. That he's going to work it. That what Satan has intended for evil, he now is going to work for the good. And he's the only one who can. He's the only one who can, who can do those things. And so you and I and all of us, we, we never like to experience these times of, of brokenness. But there are times where we just need it. We need to be broken so that we can be rebuilt into something that we weren't before. You see, it's the forge in a way. It's that place where the dross and all of the impurities are kind of taken away. And, and, and God forges a new thing in us for a work and a purpose that he has coming up. And when we trust in that, when we believe in that, you see, there's an interesting contrast that's going on here, and it's between Judas and Peter. 
And when we look further into this text, we're going to see that Judas is going to judge himself. And Peter's going to hang around, and he's going to allow Jesus to restore him and to send him and to give him a mission and a meaning and a purpose and all of these things. He's going to meet him by a seashore, right? And he's going to tell him, keep feeding my sheep. Keep doing what I'm calling you to do. He's going to restore him. We're going to, we're going to see that picture come up. But see, if it didn't happen until the foundations got rocked, rebuilt, and something new built on them. So, Lord, we just uh, we thank you this day for your goodness. And uh, we just come before you humbly, just, just knowing and just acknowledging that you are God. And that because you are God, you are sovereign and you have perfect right to do anything in our lives, that you've, you've bought the life of a Christian. You've, you've purchased it, and not with cheap stuff like silver and gold, but with your precious blood. So, Lord, may we be mindful of that. May we know that you, you are sovereign and that you have, you have given us promises that are greater than any struggle that we could ever have here. You've, you've given us a promise for a hope for the future. You've, you've given us the promise of heaven and eternity with you. And therefore, anything that would happen to us here is just a vapor. It's just a grass that's, that's, that's going to bloom and, and, and fall away and, and pass away. But you and your word and your people are never going to do that. We're never going to pass away. We're going we're to be with you forever. And so, Lord, when the, when the trials come, help us to, to look for what you're doing. Help us to not just necessarily try to just get out of the fire, but help us to settle down into that place and allow you to do the work that you want to do in and through us. Lord, help us to... To, to learn to be okay and to have joy and discomfort. Lord, to give us an unwielding, unwavering trust and faith in you and all that you want to do. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.